well, hope you all had a, a good Thanksgiving, a good time uh, celebrating and being reminded of what we all have uh, so much to be thankful for. Uh, I love this season. I love this time of year. I uh, love Thanksgiving, getting to spend time with family, and then kind of uh, moving forward towards uh, Christmas and just this season. But, you know, I was thinking about at, at Thanksgiving when we gather together uh, with different people or just even just celebrating that meal together, that time I often reminds me of past Thanksgivings and memories and all sorts of things kind of come flooding back. And one of the things I remembered, and just being with my brother and his small children, is, is whenever you're together with family, there's always this uh, uh, somebody who needs to take a nap, right? There's always a kid that it's like, okay, it's nap time. And, and as far as I can remember, the child, whoever it is, that's like, okay, it's time for a nap. They're like, I don't want to take a nap. I'm not tired, and I don't want to do it. And, and without fail, every time... Uh, some adult in the room goes, well, I wish I could take a nap. And, and that's like the way to, to talk to the kid and tell him it's okay, and I would take a nap if I could. And I said that, well, as a kid, that used to make me so mad. Like, how would this frustrate me when, when uh, the adults would say that? I found it so patronizing. How dare you? Like, you can take a nap whenever you want, but I can't believe you're saying that, and, and you don't want to take a nap. And, and as a kid, you're like, why would anyone ever want to take a nap? i got things to do and abundant energy. And now, as an adult, I look back on that and go, uh, they weren't trying to patronize the kid. That was like a plea from their heart. Like, I wish I could take a nap. I wish I got to do that. And I often feel that way at different times. Like, if the stars align and everything comes together, and like, like today, like a Sunday afternoon, and if it starts raining and it's kind of cold outside, like, and I get to take a nap, that's like the greatest thing. In the world, like that, just get to lay down. Even if it's for like 20 minutes, even if it's just close your eyes on the couch for a second, it's like the greatest gift. And it's because oftentimes we're we're tired and exhausted, and there's a lot going on. And as an adult, you carry a lot of things with you, and a lot of uh, uh, just things that you have to do. And and it can be difficult. And there's different times where we just wish we could just stop and take a nap. That'd be great. And I think even this time of year makes that even more so. It gets heightened this type of year because we come up to Christmas and then all of a sudden there's all these things to do and preparations to be made, gifts to buy, uh, family gatherings, or, or maybe even it's, it's the end of the year and it's your work. Uh, a lot of times at the end of the year there's a lot of things that kind of come to a close at the end of the year and we feel the pressure and the stress of that. And so it can be difficult to find rest, to truly rest, especially in this season. A season that's wonderful, but in a lot of ways it brings a lot of extra things with it. And so it can be difficult and it can bring exhaustion. And so today as we start this series for Advent, and Advent, as Luke was saying about this, the coming, the arrival of Jesus, that he's here. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas, that Jesus has come. And so what I want us to think about as we prepare our hearts for that, as we move towards that, I want us just to think about the joy that comes with Jesus' arrival. And what he's done for us. And each week I want us to think of kind of a different aspect that leads to this joy that we have. I mean, every year we sing joy to the world. And so today I want us to think about the joy to the world that comes and that we can rest in Jesus. And so we're going to look at this very uh, familiar passage in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus calls us to come and rest. And in this season it's, it's difficult to find time not just for physical rest. But our minds running with all the things we have to do and the, the, the struggles of life that are pressing in. And to really be able to rest in Jesus. 
And so as we do that, we're going to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 11. And oftentimes, uh, if you're studying a passage or you're looking at it, it's helpful to read it in, in different translations and, and look at the different ways and the words that are used. Sometimes I like to go and read in the Message Bible, which is not really a translation. It's a paraphrase that Pastor Eugene Peterson did. And it's in everyday language, but I liked the way he said this here. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. And I like the way Peterson kind of says that. Is Jesus is calling us to him, to rest in him. And I want us to think about what that looks like. And so as we look at just verses 28 and 29 and 30 of Matthew chapter 11 today, three things I want us to consider. First, why are we so tired? And Jesus gives us some help on that. Why are we so tired? Secondly, how does Jesus give us rest? And then lastly, how do we continue to look to Jesus daily to find that rest? Right, so why are we so tired? How does Jesus give us rest? But then how does Jesus help us daily to continue in that rest? And so let's start with just why we are so tired. I don't have to tell you, in 2020, in the culture we live in, there's a busyness that goes with just the technological advancements that we have. We walk around every day with a supercomputer in our pocket. I don't know if you realize this, but the, the phone that most of us carry, if you have a smartphone, the phone you carry in your pocket is 1,000 times more powerful than the first computer that was ever made. And now you walk around connected with this thing in your pocket, and in it brings the news and social media and texting and phone calls and work and emails and everything around us right to you. And we deal with that daily. And what has happened because of this Technology that we have, uh, we're never really turned off. We're always connected. Uh, it's happened with our work lives, emails, people can get to you if there's a question they have. You're never really away because you have your phone. And so we have this very real connection at all times. It's exhausting. We're always on in a lot of ways. Then you add to it 2020, coronavirus. Uh, getting uh, into quarantine, and then all of a sudden, literally, for a whole lot of people, work and home get pushed together into the same space. And there's really no distinction. And it all just gets lumped together. And so what happens between that connectedness and those things in us and, and seeing the news and social media and all these things pressing in, we're bombarded with information. We're constantly connected. And rest becomes really difficult. It's hard to turn off. It's hard to push away that work is over here and now I'm going to rest because we're always available. It's hard to turn off our minds because we're constantly bombarded with the news and social media and what's happening and things that are going on. And it's hard to get away from. And so we feel that. We feel that all the time in different ways. And, but, but I want us to think about this. I mean, we could just say, and that's all true, and we could do a sermon on just uh, boundaries and how to say no and how to turn your phone off and putting it and give you practically helpful things that would be helpful, that would be good for all of us. But that doesn't get to the problem under the problem. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, and you will find rest.
for your souls. Notice what Jesus says there. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is never just concerned with the physical or just the outward or, or just physically resting like you need to sleep more, although we probably need to sleep more. He's always looking at the totality of your being. And when we talk about that in the Bible, when it talks about this idea of your soul, it's the totality of who you are and your thinking and your mind and your heart and your body and all of it. It's not just physical rest, but it's your thinking, your anxiety, your struggles, all of it. And Jesus is saying, come to me and find rest for your soul. He's never just looking at the outward compliance. He's never just looking at the physical. You see this all the way through Jesus' ministry. When people come to him to be healed, right? They, they look, they'll lower the paralytic down in front of Jesus, if you know that story. The friends come and they cut a hole in their roof and they lower the guy down. They can't walk. And before Jesus tells them to get up and walk, he says, my son, your sins have been forgiven. Right? The guy can't walk and he's come to be healed. And Jesus starts with the heart issue of your sins have been forgiven. And then he tells them to get up and walk. Jesus is always looking at the totality of who we are. And so when he says here, come to me and find this rest, it's not just an outward physical rest, but it's something far deeper. So what is he talking about? Look again at verse 28 and 29. Such familiar verses, sometimes we can skim over the depth of what he's saying here. But he says, come to me all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then the verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is calling us to take his yoke upon us. And he's using a familiar term that the people in his society would have certainly understood what he was talking about. Jesus, the greatest teacher who ever lived, was always using object lessons of things that people saw right in front of him. And so he talks about a yoke. But when he says that, take my yoke, the, the implication here is that you're already yoked to something. Because he's, he's calling for us to exchange his yoke. Take my yoke upon you instead of this thing that's tiring you out. And the implication here is that you're already yoked to something. Now, to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to at least think about what that is. Uh, we're not uh, what, what even a yoke is, right? Even the, the practical thing of what he's talking about. We're separated by 2,000 years of what Jesus is saying here when he's speaking into a culture that's very different than ours. But a yoke was a great big beam that you would place on an animal that would connect you to like a till, if you're going to garden or you're going to till up the ground. Or you might connect it to uh, a wagon that's going to be pulled behind an animal. And so you would yoke yourself to these different things to get things done. And so people, when Jesus says this and he talks this way, they would have known exactly what he meant. And so he's saying you're yoking yourself to something else. Now, if we look at the context of Matthew, right? so we're reading a few verses in the middle of Matthew chapter 11, but it's placed into this book as Matthew organized all of this in a way that he's making some bigger, broader points that we look to the context. And if we look to the context, even what comes right after this is Jesus is talking about how to take the Sabbath and how to deal with the laws of God and what he said. The yoke that Jesus is talking about for the people around is the yoke of the law. The laws that have been given in the Old Testament. And the way that they're responding to them. Because what had happened is the religious leaders of the day had taken the laws that God had given. And they had added to them and they had expanded them. And they had done all this work so that you could do these things 
to the best of your ability, and in doing so, you could prove yourself. This is, I've done these things, and I'm doing them to the best of my ability. But the problem is, and Jesus saw this, and he kept correcting it everywhere he went, is God's law was never given for us to prove ourselves. It was never given to us so that we could make ourselves acceptable to God. That's not why God gave the law. God gave the law to constrain evil as sinful people, kind of guardrails to keep us from flying off the road, to show us uh, how and what God is like, to show us his glory. And so it shows us what God is like. It keeps us from flying off the road. But then what it tells us, and we've just spent a lot of time this year in, in Romans it tells us, that the law was there not to justify or to prove ourselves, but to show us that we need a Savior. That we've not kept the laws. That we've not done it perfectly. That none of us has. As Romans 3 says, no one will be justified by the works of the law. No one can do it. But that's what they were doing. They were taking the laws, and they were adding a bunch of rules, and they were with this heavy-handed uh, legalism saying, you have to do these things so that God will accept you. And Jesus looks at the people and says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. You're languishing under all these rules. In the context here, right after this, it talks about the Sabbath. Right? So go back to Ten Commandments, right? The big ten that God gives in Exodus 20. First commandment, no other gods. The second, no idols. The third is don't use the Lord's name in vain. But the fourth is keep the Sabbath holy. God gives us this command, and it's simply this. God created all things in six days, and he rested on the seventh. And he calls us to rest, to lay down our doing. And so what God is doing is, is for our good. He says, I want you to just stop working. One day a week, set it aside and not do anything. And in, do, in so doing, we're reminded that God is sovereign over all things. Everything doesn't fall apart if we're not working. Despite what we like to believe. We go, well, I can't do that. I've got too much to do. And God says, I got it. Just stop. And for our good, he tells us to rest. And so the Sabbath was to keep the Sabbath holy. To, to stop your doing. To just take a rest. And God does that for our good. But what happened with the religious leaders of the day. And, and I think hopefully started as well intentioned. They started to add other rules to help you keep the Sabbath. And so one of the rules that they added, and I always use this as an example because it kind of shows the absurdity of what had happened. They, they would say that you can't look at your reflection. You can't look into a mirror on the Sabbath. Because if you looked at a mirror on the Sabbath, you might see a hair that's out of place. And then if you see a hair that's out of place, you'll want to fix it. And as soon as you start to fix your hair, I don't know why I did that. That didn't do us any good. <laughs> you fix your hair. <laughs> Uh, as soon as you do that, you're now working, right? You're starting to work. Now, I know how absurd that is, but that's what they had done. And it was this burden of, like, even if you look in the mirror, you're doing it wrong. And so people felt that. And Jesus says, come to me. You've yoked yourself to the law. You've yoked yourself to your doing. And take this yoke, and I'll give you rest. Now, I hope that when you hear that... And you think about the way they were operating and this doing and these rules and this law. My prayer and my hope, especially if you're part of our church and you've been here for any amount of time, that that's a foreign idea to you. We, we say every week, I hope, 
that the gospel, the good news, is what God has done for us in Jesus. It's not what you do, but it's what Jesus has done. And it's a good way to be reminded of the gospel. Versus our, it's not our doing, but it's God's doing. Or, or what we looked at in Romans. It's transferring your trust from yourself and what you do to what Jesus has done for you. And I hope you hear that over and over and you never feel like there's a heavy burden of weight of all the things that you're called to do that God would accept you because that's not the gospel. That's not the good news of what Jesus has done. But I would say to you, all of us struggle with this idea. We struggle with the idea of wanting to justify ourselves, to prove ourselves, even if we understand the gospel. Even if we say it's all what Jesus has done, I am saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and it's by grace alone, and he's done it all. And we say that, and then we get up and we walk out of here, and then we seek to prove ourselves daily. We pick that back up. And we start to figure or, or, or rest our identity in what we do. And so consider this question for just a second. How would you answer this? Forget my sermon for a minute. You meet somebody on the street. They're talking about, they ask you, uh, what do you do? Right? A lot of times we ask that question. Who are you? Tell me about yourself. Where do you start? Or maybe a better way to say it. Somebody asks you, what's your greatest achievement in life? Like, what are you really great at? Who do you see yourself as? What do you hang your hat on? And I want you to think about how you answer that question. Because a lot of times what we do is we start with our work. I'm a whatever. Whatever you do, whatever you're good at, whatever you excel at, whatever you put a lot of time into. Or, or maybe you start with your family or, or your children or your spouse, or your loved ones. Maybe it's you start with your religious kind of resume. Somebody goes, well, what have you done? What is, what is your greatest achievement? You go, oh, I started this Bible study. Or I, I did this thing where I mentored these kids. Or I did, and what we start to do, if, we, if we're not careful, we start to root and ground our identity in our doing. And I want you to think about how you answer that question, however that would be. Only you can answer that. How would you answer that question? Because what it does is it reveals your heart. It reveals what you've yoked yourself to. The thing that you're making your life about. The thing that you're seeing yourself in. And, and what the Bible tells us, and what it reminds us over and over, and, and you can go back to the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. No idols. The very first two things that God tells us is you start with me. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's the way Jesus summarizes the law. And what he's saying is, if you're putting anything in God's place, if you're yoking yourself and your identity to anything other than God and who he is and who you are in him, you will exhaust yourself. And the reason you will exhaust yourself is because it cannot do what you're hoping it would do. You're trying to prove yourself and your worth by your doing but the good news of the gospel is what Jesus has done, not what you do. And so your job, right? Think about how this goes with your job. If, if you make your identity your job, I'll rest when I get the next promotion. I get the next title. I get this much money. I get this thing. Then I'll rest. And so I'm going to work really hard at it. You know what happens? You get the next promotion. And then you go, you know what? I'll rest when I get the next promotion, or I get a little more money, or I get another position. Or, 
you don't get the promotion. You get passed over. Maybe you get passed over unfairly for someone less qualified, and then you're frustrated. And when you yoke yourself to that thing, you're placing a hope in something that can never do what you're hoping it will do. The same thing happens with your children. Right? Maybe you yoke yourself to your children and their achievements. Well, guess what will happen? They're going to screw up. Probably a lot. And look around the room. We've all done it. Right? I'm not picking on any of my kids. I did it. You did it. We've all done it because we're sinful, broken people. And if you place your hope in being a good parent and my kids are going to be the best, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be disappointed. And you'll either smother your children and you'll stunt their growth or you'll crush them or you'll push them away or they'll fail or all of those things will happen and it'll be a mess because you were never meant to yoke yourself to these things for your ultimate identity and purpose. But yet we do it. We do it over and over because of the deceitfulness of our heart, the sinfulness of our heart. We want to make it all about us and what we do rather than what God has done and who we are in him. And so what happens is we end up exhausted because we're putting our hope in something that can never fulfill what we hope it will do and never is going to get us there. And it's like the hamster running on the wheel. You run and run and run and run and you don't go anywhere. And it exhausts us. And so how does Jesus then offer us rest? When Jesus stands and says, come to me. All who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does he offer us rest? Jesus, the God of the universe, in the incarnation comes to us. And he shows us exactly what God is like. Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. He is God in the flesh. And he comes and he shows us exactly what it looks like to love others and to love God. And he gives us this perfect picture, but as he comes, he doesn't come just to give us a perfect picture or something to emulate. Notice what he says here in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you that are really busy and struggling and you're really tired, and I'll give you four rules to reorder your life, and if you follow these things, then you'll get rest. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you some principles, and you're going to follow my example, and if you do it pretty well, then you'll be able to rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that's the very heart of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. I'm not a way, I don't point to the way, I'm the way. If you go back to the beginning of, of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, that you're telling Mary and Joseph about the son that's going to come, and you're going to name him Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 it says, She will bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's going to save us from our sins. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what Advent is about, that Jesus has come. He's arrived, and he's here, and he's done this thing that we could never do ourselves. And so Jesus comes, and he lives the life that we haven't lived. He lives perfectly. He loves God, and he loves people. And he does it in every way. 
And he comes to the end of his life in which he deserves all the blessings that come with honoring God perfectly and fully. And what he does is he lays down his life for us. And he takes our sins upon himself and he pays for them. And he brings them to nothing. And he chooses to do so. And instead of taking all the blessings that he deserves, he takes the curses that we deserve. Because we have not honored God. And we have rebelled against him. And he does all of it for us. And he pays for it on the cross. And then he's gloriously resurrected again. And then he says, now I stand and offer this to you. You can have my perfect righteousness by putting your faith in me and what I've done for you. It's not, you follow all these things and if you do them well enough, then God will accept you. No, Jesus says, in me, you will be accepted because of what I have done, not what you do. Do versus done. And so when Jesus calls us into that, to come and rest in his grace and what he's done for you, he invites us to take his yoke. Right? Remember, these people were struggling under the weight of all these rules and all these things. And Jesus has come in exchange for my, for my burden is easy and it's light. And what he's saying is you come and you put your trust and faith in what I have done, not what you do. And there you will find rest. Because the truth is every single one of us is trying to justify ourselves and prove ourselves in all these different ways because we know we've blown it. We know we're not perfect. We know we don't have it all together. And so we work really hard and we're going to do these things. And no matter what we do, we'll never do enough. And Jesus says, just stop. I've already done it. Come to me and find rest. Jesus has already done it and finished it completely and totally. And he loves you completely and totally and fully because of what he's done and no other reason. And when we understand and see that, that is where we can finally rest. God loves you, and he is well pleased with you, and even when you've blown it, he loves you, and he's met you in that, and he's done what you could never do for you. That's why we're saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done. And that is where we find rest. And that is the yoke that Jesus is offering us, to be yoked and united to the Father through what Christ has done. And it's not our doing, but his doing. Now, we go, yes! Right? I hope this is the gospel. This is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And you can go, yes, I believe that. And I know that. And I, I want to base my life on that. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And then you're going to wake up tomorrow. And you're going to get out of bed. And you're going to start trying to prove yourself again. i got to do these things. And the deceitfulness of your heart will go, God will love you a little more if you're better at your job. Or God will love you a little more if your kids were more obedient. Our God would love you, and we'll start to believe that. And we'll take the yoke, and we'll put it right back on, and we'll start to do it. So how do we escape that? How do we really rest in Jesus each and every day? How are we reminded the truth that Jesus has already done it and finished it? So look again, just at verse 29 and 30. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I've been reading this great book recently by Dane Ortland, And the book is just called Gentle and Lowly. And in the book, the title, I'm sure you can guess, but it comes from verse 29. And, and in the book, Ortland says, This is the only place in all the Gospels that Jesus tells us his heart. It's the only place. 
And I want you to really think about this and how it brings together uh, just the glory of the gospel, but the glory of Advent and Jesus coming to us and what it means. Think about the way Jesus describes himself here. In verse 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The God of the universe humbles himself to come to us. To be born as a baby in poverty in the middle of nowhere. So that he can do everything that God requires to keep all the law perfectly. And in doing so, then lay down his life for us. This is who Jesus is. This is what God is like. He is gentle and lowly. But I want you to think about the way he says it here in the context of what he's saying. When you are heavy laden and you are burdened and you are tired and you are exhausted and you know you've blown it and you can't hold it all together. He says, come to me and I will meet you as the one who is gentle and lowly. Do you understand what that means? That Jesus says, this is what I'm like. This is who God is. This is his heart for you. When you blow it, whatever it is, when you blow it in your sin and you know it and you're frustrated, Jesus isn't standing there shaking his head with his hand on his head going, I can't believe he did it again. He is gentle and lowly saying, come to me. I've already paid for it. I've already done it. Come and give it to me and rest. That is what God is like. That is what Jesus is like. The joy that comes from understanding the glory of what God has done for us and how much he loves us. All the things that you exhaust yourself with. And Jesus is standing there going, come on, take my yoke. I've already done it. You can rest in this. This is how much I love you. And so I've been reading this book, and Ortland says it this way, and it's so beautiful the way he says it. He says, this is God's heart. His heart of gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins and our foibles and our insecurities and doubts and anxieties and failures. For lowly gentleness is not the way Jesus occasionally acts towards others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. He can't ungentle himself towards his, young, his own. And so when Jesus invites us and says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, when you blow it and you turn to him, Jesus meets you there and says, I've already paid for it. I've already done it. Rest in who you are in me. Yoke yourself to me. Because Jesus has done it and the Father looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus has already purchased all of it. And so you rest in him. You turn and look to him. You find your identity in him and him alone. And then the great thing that happens when you do. All the other things that we try to yoke ourselves to. If you try to get your identity from your work or from your kids, it's going to blow up in your face. But if you get your identity from Jesus, then it frees you to actually love others the way God has loved you. I want you to think about that. If I yoke myself to my children and I'm getting my identity from them, it's going to crush them. I'm putting a burden on them that they can never, ever carry. 
But when I yoke myself to Jesus and what he's done for me, then it frees me to actually love them and not use them for my identity. Does that make sense? It frees us to then go and do our work to God's glory instead of making a name for myself. It frees us to see things as they are. And God meets us in the middle of that and loves us in that and and, and shows us and teaches us as we continue to turn to him. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he continues to remind us of who we are in him. And so daily be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. And so I'm going to end here. I'm done. But we're starting this week. You know, Advent, as we come into this season, we're starting with a time of prayer and fasting in our church. And we're inviting you to do that with us. We have some devotionals out in the lobby. Uh, We're sending those out if you prefer it on PDF, but we have the hard copy. We have a, a little guide that goes with it. And so as we move up to Christmas, we're asking you to spend the time uh, in a season of prayer and fasting. And there's a whole bunch of different ways you can do that. Maybe it's one day a week. Maybe it's two days a week. Maybe it's every day. Maybe it's fasting from technology or food or whatever it is. But let me just remind you of this. When we talk about fasting, hear, hear the way Eugene Peterson writes this verse. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? Come to me. And get away with me and you will recover your life. And as we think about prayer and fasting, we're inviting you to come away with Jesus. In the busyness of the season and the struggles of all the things that are going on in the world, to take time and step away, to, to lay down a meal or to lay down your phone or to turn off the TV and seek the Lord and seek his face, you will never regret that. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And so our heart in this is, is please be reminded of this. Prayer and fasting is not some discipline that we pick up so that God loves us more. He already loves you completely and totally in Jesus. But by removing other things and turning to him, it just shines a light on his glory. And we see his face more clearly. And so I just encourage you to think about how you would step into that. How you would begin to seek God's face in this season. What are the things that maybe you need to remove and be able to stop and just to seek him in in prayer and in time in his word and seeking his face. Because in doing so, you will find the rest that can only come from Jesus. So pray with me. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you that we can truly rest in you. That you and you alone are the one that does what we can never do for us. And I pray that we would rest our identity in you. I pray that as we go and we seek to love others, we seek to do our job, we seek to do the things that are in front of us, that all of those would be secondary to our identity in you, Jesus, and what you've done for us. Help us this season as we come up to Christmas to see this afresh and to be resting in the glorious good news of what you've done for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.